Hello, everyone. Welcome to our podcast around simplifying for success. Simplification requires discipline and clarity of thought. This is not often easy in today's rapid-paced work environment. We've invited a few colleagues in data and information governance space to share their strategies and approaches for simplification. We have a very special guest today on our show. Jerry Bui is a long-term friend and an ex-colleague, and we're going to talk about deep fakes. Hey, Jerry, welcome to our show. Hi, thanks for having me. So it's been a while since we talked. Maybe we could get started with you providing a little bit of an overview about yourself. Sure. Yeah, happy to. Uh, I've uh, been in the e-discovery industry or larger lit support industry for um, longer than 20 years. Uh, I'm a managing director currently at FTI Consulting, where I serve as a testifying expert witness. Uh, I am also a certified fraud examiner. And um, I also am named as the uh, co-lead for Interpol. They have started a new metaverse forensics program. And so I I co-lead that um, metaverse forensics initiative. And they are, you know, basically recruiting external civilian help um, to mix in with their law enforcement uh, personnel. And so I'll be lending a outsider, uh, private sector uh, expert viewpoint on all things metaverse forensics. Cool. So as I said, we haven't talked before, but we share um, a common past. Um, we used to work for KPMG together, so I've known you for many, many years. And um, it's been a while since we have talked, but I've been watching your LinkedIn post. What made you decide to combine your passion for music and uh, your interest in forensics and sort of make this what I would call very entertaining, educational, and and somewhat unique and in, you know interesting post? Yeah, so I I, how you got the idea to sure do that. Yeah, I I think that um you know during the pandemic everyone sought uh you know some kind of uh, human interaction, and one of the things that's hard to achieve is uh, a real connection right online. Um, but when I started watching TikTok and saw how some of those creators were able to create a genuine connection with their audience, I kind of uh, activated my right brain. And I've always had um, this background uh, in music and singing. I, I was in um, theater when I was younger. And so that's where you'll find some of my posts involving, um, you know, uh, singing and rapping. I write my own lyrics and um, all that. And that just lends to the entertainment value, uh, which, you know, connects with with people. I mean, sometimes in our business as consultants, we can be rather dry. And and so if I can kind of mix my left brain with my right brain and somehow, um, you know, uh, educate and entertain at the same time, that's where I genuinely got my uh, creative spark was from seeing those TikTok creators and how successful they were. Um, and so, you know, I also have a background in um, movie editing, um, so the video editing rather, and um, just art, the, the art world in general. I used to be a um, 
you know, a cartoonist, a full-time cartoonist for the Daily Bruin at UCLA when I was a college student. So I would draw a, um, a comic book strip. And so I did that for four years when I was in college. So I have mixed in with all of my, um, you know, academic studies, a, a, a creative side, and I've tried to carry that throughout my career. And really the opportunity didn't arise until recently during the pandemic and um, using social media to express myself. So today I wanted to talk about deep fake. I mean, it's a, it's a very fascinating topic and, and a topic uh, that you write or talk about a lot. I do. Um, what is deep fake? Deep fakes is when you cross that threshold using AI, not for, um, not for a, any good or lawful or entertainment purposes, um, but rather you cross the threshold into using it for nefarious or malicious reasons. And that is, um, you know, using it to, uh, you know, fake or impersonate another person um, and without their consent um, or even with chat GPT, um, using the output from chat GPT as your own work. I think that's where the focus has largely been. And that's kind of from a um, plagiarism Point of view. So there's the identity theft aspect, there's the uh, plagiaristic aspect, but using artificial intelligence, things that genuinely aren't really of your own creation, but one that you may have influenced, but is largely done by AI. And so the heavy lifting is done um, there. And so AI is really the underpinning of deep fakes. So how does the fake technology work? So how does one sort of impersonate, um, I mean, uh, let's say me or you or someone else? Sure. Yeah, it's all um, based on training data. I mean, you think about like the uh, special effects CGI um, artists in the past, they really had to do a lot of manual tedious work when it came to using tools, uh, whether it was Photoshop and, and things like that, where they would essentially paint every screen or every frame um, in order to achieve a, um, you know, a, a purpose for, um, you know, to impersonate or to emulate a person's um, face or voice. And if you ever saw any CGI representation of a person's face, it's, it was always a little bit off. What the technology involves for deepfakes is the machine taking um, training data um, from live footage. So, you know, and, and these days um, with the computational power, it doesn't take much. So, for example, um, if you wanted to deep fake someone's face, um, you really need photographs and, you know, a handful of photographs and video um, footage. Um, not much. For voices, if you wanted to deep fake someone's voice, Microsoft has a technology called Wall-E where they say they only need uh, three seconds of someone's voice sample in order to emulate um, their voice. So you could essentially um, take that training data and instruct it to do something that um, that person never did, that person never said, um, places where that person never went. Um, and so that the, the machine using artificial intelligence and something called uh, generative adversarial networks, I think that was the first um, algorithm that was, was used. Um, nowadays with ChatGPT or MidJourney, there's the all the underlying algorithms that open AI 
um, developed or Google developed originally with their GPT um, uh, trainers. So uh, that all, uh, you know, um, or um, actually ends up with very usable um, uh, tools that an everyday person can use. And that's really the crux of it is the mainstream adoption of these tools and the ability for someone to um, create a deep fake, right? Uh, and that's happening most predominantly in the pornography world where they are swapping celebrities' faces onto uh, pornographic actors and actresses. And um, with the amount of time that people spend online, myself in particular, if you just took a video that I posted on LinkedIn um, containing my audio, um, that becomes training data and just as swappable as a celebrity's face onto any scenario that you can imagine. So, so what you're telling is that it's basically not something that requires sophisticated skills. You have, and, and um, you know, in 2018, there was this fake app that was released, right? So by Google, um, open source deep learning software. So these are just easily available. All you have to do is take it, you download it, and you can take some voice, take some images, and there you are ready to sort of make audio or video that look like real when it's never happened. Yeah, that's right. I think the um, back then it was open source that you could pull down, and it did take a little bit of technical know-how or technical savvy to be able to, um, you know, put that into, uh, you know, into use. But nowadays, it, you you know, you can do it on your mobile phone. There's apps that you can do use to create um, deep fakes. Most people are, you know, just kind of envisioning using it for entertainment purpose, satire, parody, and things of that nature. Um, but you know, in the the fraud and misconduct world that we live in, um, people uh, can use it for really, um, you know, ill purposes. So um, I, I showed an example last week at the University of Florida um, Law eDiscovery Conference where I took my own voice, trained it, and then played it back with a script that I wrote, uh, a very real scenario that I experienced as a fraud examiner where, um, you know, this uh, nefarious actor called into the accounting department of a company and, and just used the emulated voice to switch the bank account for their um, this unsuspecting employee's paychecks. And so it was my voice calling in and saying, oh, I'm traveling and I need access to funds. Um, could you please change my bank account to this other one? And um, if the accounting person knew me and knew my voice, they're they're likely to just trust the fact that it was me but in fact, it was a deep fake. So there are actual use cases of fraud that we that that can be you know real. That like for example, you just talked about one scenario where somebody could call in and ask for pretend to be someone, and especially when you don't have controls and it's all based on just voice and and image, it looks like as if it's real. And when COVID, a lot of us are in a remote environment, so you could fake to look like the person who is calling it from a team's uh, account and ask for the, the numbers to be changed. Or this can also happen personal, in personal situations where they can call in and say, I'm, I'm stuck here, please transfer some money. So that's those are the common scams, right, that are probably using deep, deep fake to, you know, uh, for financial gain. Yeah, that's right. Think about just the 
um, scams that are being conducted today, and a large part of them involve social engineering. And so back in the day with social engineering, they didn't even have these technologies and people were fooled. And I think nowadays, um, you know, they're doing, conducting these types of scams against the elderly where they, or where they pretend by using deep fakes to be their, the, um, this person's grandchild. And they're, you know, stuck on vacation in Florida and, oh, please wire me some money right away, grandma. I really need your help. And imagine doing that in the voice of that person's grandchild or even doing a FaceTime session with that person's face, all looking authentically like a relative of that um, that person. And so the, these scams are actually being conducted today every single day using deepfake te technology. It's taking social engineering to the next level. So what other types of fraud do you see that are both potential as well as happening today where deep fake technologies being used. Yeah, I worry about the deep fake technology being used um, more at scale and for more uh, consequential types of things, not just the um, you know the the small scams that occur here and there. I mean, don't get me wrong; those are important to curtail, but I think about influencing politicians through uh, deep fakes and AI, um, like uh, mass campaigns um, that look like the constituents of uh, a particular politician to push them towards a decision um, to one, you know, to one end of the spectrum or another. Um, so kind of misrepresenting the will of the people. Right. So whether it's the emails that um, politicians uh, respond to or the phone calls, all of that can be done through um, AI because you can make all of those individuals sound different, write differently, look differently. So it, it kind of mimics a um, large scale population with enough variety that really one single person couldn't do manually on their own. You know, uh, think about some individual or even a group of individuals, a, a troll farm that um, is doing this. Th this is not just, you know, a room full of people. When you use AI, you can um, take the scale of that to um, citywide populations. I mean, that number of thousands, tens of thousands, millions of um, individualized types of um, communications that can be used um, to, to influence those decision makers in ways that are totally misrepresentative of um, of what their true will is. So as a forensic examiner, can you easily differentiate between authentic versus deep fake? What do you look for? <laughs> I've used it enough. So I, I do kind of intuitively, uh, I can intuitively tell when something's written by ChatGPT, for example. Um, and you can, you know, have tools at your disposal to substantiate your gut um, instinct. Um, so there is something called Detect GPT um, that will, you can feed the output, the written output from that AI generated um, written work, copy and paste it into some to Detect G GPT, and it'll give you a um, a likelihood. It's a probability score that it was generated by um, AI. And so there's other platforms like that where you can feed a piece of video footage into um, you know the tool to tell you whether or not it is a deep fake um, video. 
I haven't seen one for audio yet, um, but I have seen one for video and one for written. And those are just um, also being trained. They're, those are also AI created to um, observe the patterns, um, the more common patterns that come out of a uh, generative AI tool versus an actual human. Um, so, you know, those will always come to a forensic examiner's aid when needed. So are you telling me that we all need to start guarding our voice and images so that we never, <laughs> we don't post anything online? I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding here. One of the things that as a privacy professional, we all think mm -hmm. about, I mean, as I can tell that every time I try to post my kids' videos, I'm like, I'm not sure I want this posted. So it's it's a yeah. it's a question for all of us as to how much do you want to live online? Um, you know, given all the new concerns that you have for your own privacy and security. So thought. Yeah. The the dark side of technology, right? And I think those concerns have always been there one way or another throughout time. And, you know, the only way to really guard yourself completely or protect yourself with 100% assurance is to go off grid. Um, and I know that there's been some um, experiments of going off grid, actually going off grid, and it's very, very hard to do. Um, you, you almost have to not carry a cell phone with you. But you know, insofar as deep fakes is concerned, yes, you need to be concerned with how much training data, potential training data that you're putting online, whether it's your, um, your likeness by way of video and photographs, your voice by way of podcasts like this, or um, even teleconference calls where you can be surreptitiously recorded. Uh, any any of those things where you could be recorded and it could be turned around and used as training data, um, there's a risk. So I'm not telling you to go offline completely, um, but that's probably the only way that you could uh, protect yourself completely. <laughs> So you are you are basically saying that there is no way for us to go off it. it I mean, I think practically speaking, I was just talking to uh, someone about this. Uh, uh -huh. You know, um, this is a lunch and learn that I was doing a few weeks ago, and um, you know, we had talked about just a very small routine that pretty much all of us go through in the morning, which is wake up, you know, maybe grab a cup of coffee and show up at our workplace. And, you know, you, you you just that small action, three or four things that you do every day in the morning, you share data with about 20 different companies in the process right. um, and, and all kinds of data. So some of it can be your voice, some of it can be your image, some of it can be your, um, you know, coffee drinking habits to, um, you know, um, payment uh, preferences and things like that. So a lot of information that can be gleaned from just the three or four activities that all of us do every day, again and again and again in the morning. So, you know, when you kind of extrapolate that to your entire day and all, you know, there's just, there's no way to go off grid. I mean, unless- There isn't. Yeah. yeah. But when you are the victim of something like that, you want to make sure that the legal frameworks in place will be there to protect you, right? So the regulation that offers punishment for um, those types of uh, bad actors, right? Or those bad acting companies that um, flout, flout your privacy or, or flout any deep fake, anti-deep fake laws or regulations. You wanna see the punishment be strong enough that it becomes a disincentive 
for those bad, bad actors to do anything, right? So, um, and I think those things are developing, you know, so the um, the laws on the books and then the, the law enforcement and then all of the um, tools that can be used to detect and prevent those types of activities will mature over time. So it is a going to be a arms race or a constant battle um, to protect the individual um, citizen against these sorts of um, malicious attempts. And and that also goes to if you post it online or if you hand it over to other companies, how securely they're maintaining that data. So you don't, you know, you don't hand it off to people with malicious right. intent. Right. There's things that you need to do to protect yourself, but definitely um, societally, you want to make sure the uh, legal institutions that are in place will protect you when um, the time arises. So you mentioned to me about metaverse. It's another topic that, you know, everybody is talking about, right? What is this metaverse and what privacy means in the metaverse and what data security means in the metaverse? What are your thoughts? Yeah, it's the next uh, iteration of the internet. Um, we're currently in what's known as the Web 2 mobile internet. And so Web 3 immersive 3D spatial internet will be known as the metaverse. And my thoughts there are that a lot of the um, crimes that will be committed will be similar to the cyber crimes that we see in the Web 2 world. But there will be a whole host of new crimes uh, yet to be invented in the Web3 world. We've seen that with every major uh, tectonic shift uh, in technology where it opens up not just opportunities, but a whole Pandora's box of things to grapple with. And so um, again, I'm kind of leaning on uh, the, the influential people like us who can lobby for protections within that new Web3 metaverse. There needs to be regulation. There needs to be laws in place, there needs to be consequences for wrongdoing. Um, but, you know, the, it always lags. Um, it's just look at all the uh, cryptocurrency scams that ran uh, afoul. They just were completely rampant in the days where there were lax or non-existent regulation. But now it's catching up, right? Now you're starting to see a clampdown. And it's just a matter of um, not, in, not letting too many people become harmed uh, or aggrieved during that gap um, where the uh, legal and law enforcement, um, you know, individuals or framework and institutions catch up. So you have kids and I have kids and, you know, um, not that we're not technically savvy, but they live in a different world compared to us. And I watch my eight-year-old go, you know, she, she literally believes and thinks like the metaverse, right? It's all about what avatar and how I would transport myself from here to there. Isn't and, that crazy? You know, having a different crazy? identity. And, and so we just saw Epic being fined uh, by the FDC mm -hmm. um, for lack of consent and um, collection of data without consent, you know, using games and um, kids are probably um, the first target for metaverse, and as yeah, they sort of develop features. And um, you know, what do you think are some of the major privacy concerns, both as a person in this industry as well as 
you know, yeah. as a dad who's sort of watching your kids sort of experience or live their life. I don't know how to, yeah, even, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They are living their life. Their existence is in already kind of a uh, a virtual reality um, within uh, Minecraft and Roblox and uh, Fortnite. And so I, I I relate very well with what you're saying, Priya, where the kids already live there. In fact, that's known as the new social media, by the way. If you read um, Kathy Hackle's book on um, Into the Metaverse, she is herself a chief metaverse officer and promoting a, this new title. I think the, at the time of the writing of her book, there were only six chief metaverse officers uh, in the US, but that number assuredly will grow. And so that means companies are gonna be more aware. They'll seek guidance from their chief metaverse officers. There'll be chief metaverse officers conferences, um, creating um, guidance and um, consulting around these types of privacy, fraud and misconduct concerns. And so, um, you know, they, they, I know that Roblox, for example, and I'm sure the other ones also have parental uh, parental protection features. They can't make purchases, for example, um, within uh, without your uh, permission, like it pings your phone in order to get the permission to get those uh, Robux, for example. Um, they can't do any of that without my permission. They can't, um, I think, talk to anyone outside of their friends list without um, me. So it's a, it's a matter of the parents just like all throughout time being vigilant uh, with their, their children. And luckily for me and you, we, we know those issues a little bit better and take um, hopefully some extra steps to keep our children from being harmed. Uh, but, you know, there, you know, what about all the others? And we might rely too much on the companies who, um, you know, who, who are responsible for this. Again, there's the external pressure and, um, consequences that a uh, regulatory framework might provide where the punishment is going to be um, so great that they will take the necessary steps um, to protect the um, vulnerable populations that are using their products. So do you have anything that you would like to share with our audience, both about the metaverse as well as the deep fake that we have already not discussed? Yeah, I think it's just understanding data and how data flows and, um, you know, guarding, uh, being a, a true guardian of your own data. Um, so it's important to understand how data is stored and how it's transmitted and understand a little bit about encryption and how to create extra firewalls, perhaps within your home. Um, so I think being data savvy is important in this day and age, uh, I, I, you know, all jobs um, nowadays involve data in some way. Um, it's just a matter of being aware and understanding how your data is being treated, whether you're at work or at home or shopping as a consumer online or in person. It's just, um, you know, I think getting educated on that front and developing some technical skills uh, will make the world a difference. Well, Thank you so much for your time. It was fun talking to you and uh, hopefully we can do this more often. Yeah, I agree. Um, uh, you know, as long as you'll have me, I'll come back anytime. And uh, I listen, I, I look forward to listening to more episodes of your show. Sounds good. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you, Priya. Mm -hmm.